then I will go on. Uh, where is the person with the microphone? Uh, way over there, way over there in the back. So this goes back to um, when we were talking about fear and whether or not to run from it or embrace it. And I just was wondering your thoughts on being afraid of something and going towards it and trying to conquer it. Is that, is that fueling it? Is that running from it? What is that? Um, well, it seems courageous, that's for sure. Um, let's... Because uh, somebody reminded me during the break of a good distinction to make. Uh, so we're all living on some kind of a spectrum. And um, can you, everybody see this? Okay. Yeah. Oh, volume. I could raise this a little higher. Is that a little bit? Is that better? So for instance, um, remember the distinction. In mindfulness, it's touch and go. We don't hold on to something. We just notice it, name it, and let it go and come back to the here and now. So that's one practice. Another practice, which is more psychologically based, is to welcome whatever the feeling may be, no matter how difficult it is. And most of us are at some time or another um, either here or here, but most of the time we're somewhere in between. And so sometimes you're somewhat welcoming and sometimes you're somewhat letting it go. And uh, what I recommend is that you try to include both in your interaction with people and your meeting up with the various situations, circumstances, predicaments that come up in the course of life. So uh, someone during the break mentioned about a, a breakup. So let's say you have a, uh, it's been a terrible loss to have a breakup, your partner uh, left you. Well, you want to welcome the, in this case, grieving feelings. You're going to welcome that and you're going to give hospitality to the sadness and the anger and the fears and all the feelings that come up around what happened to you. But in addition to that, you're going to spend some time each day just returning yourself to yourself. I am giving myself back to myself by sitting in the here and now of just me, 
here now and I am freeing myself from the story. So mindfulness is here now with no story. And the other practice, which is the welcoming practice, is here and now with the story, because the story started the whole thing off. But as the grief becomes purer, as you free yourself from blame of the other, or the desire to retaliate, which are the two things that can come up during a breakup. As you no longer open to these primitive reactions, letting go of these, the story starts to change and it becomes your story rather than our story. And that's when you're finally free. And there's a special word for the letting go of blame and retaliation. It's called forgiveness. What is forgiveness? Letting go of blame and retaliation. <clears throat> it's not forgetting and it's not excusing and it's not um, saying it was uh, all perfectly okay. It's saying no matter what happened and no matter how it felt, no matter what she did, what I did, what he did, uh, I open myself to my own grief and I clear myself more and more thereby from blaming and, and the need to retaliate. This changes my story into my journey. And on this side, I'm getting support for this, for the moving from story to journey. Because the journey will always be to the here and now. Remember the last sentence or two of The Wizard of Oz when Dorothy is sitting up in bed back in Kansas and she says, and I'm quoting, but I'm here, and this is my room. That was the crowning moment of the story. I'm here, and this is my room. Like, just to come back to what's real for you in the moment, putting all the Technicolor stuff aside, <laughs> and um, with no story left, that would be a wonderful place to get to. What helps us get there? When we're, whenever we find ourselves in any predicament, and wherever we are on the spectrum, we do a both and rather than an either or. So it's not, oh, I'm a Buddhist now, so I see everything mindfully and I get rid of all the idea of a story, that will not be suitable for beings like us who uh, have imagination. <laughs> because uh, another part of you 
needs to let in what happened, to look at it, to be with it, to welcome it, and ultimately to let go of it so that it turns into part of my journey as opposed to some terrible thing he or she did to me. <clears throat> Does this make it clearer? Because I don't think it was clear before. Because um, some people were confused about, well, what is, why would you say this and then that? How could you be both mindful and welcoming? I'm trying to see how both could come together. Is this on, though? Yeah, go ahead. I think it was really helpful, but I don't know. The question I was thinking of, let me maybe give an example, is if, and this is really how I think I've lived a lot of my life, is if I have a fear of saying, getting up in front of a group of people and speaking, <laughs> or asking a question, I'm like, well, then I'm going to go ahead and do it because it scares me. And so is that a driving force, and is that something to, you know, it served me well in a lot of senses, but in the other, the flip side of that, if I were to leave here and I didn't ask a question, I'd be like, oh my gosh, you're such a coward. Like, you didn't, you didn't face up to that. So, you did face up to it and you asked. So I know. Good. And you helped other people because I think this gives us a clearer picture than what we had before, yeah. from what we had before. Yeah. So thank you. Okay, thanks. She's reminding me of this whole thing and using the example of the breakup reminded me of a poem by... W.S. Merwin, he's an American, modern American poet, lives in Hawaii. And uh, he has a poem called The Birds on the Morning of Going, which refers to <coughs> his experience of a breakup. So the you is the partner. And he's facing the going from the place where they were together? If I can say yes, it must be to this and now. Trying to remember what the present can bless, by which I know from all other ages how little has come to me that is breath, how little that is you. Oh, I have carried this fear, a blue thing, the length of my life, asking, is this its place? Bringing it here to the singing of these brightening birds. They are neither dead nor unborn. A life opens, it opens, it is breaking. Does it find occasion for every grief of its childhood before it will have done? Oh, my love, here even the night turns back. So he's noticing all the griefs of childhood coming up at the time of the breakup. <clears throat> and he's saying it's so scary, even the night would be afraid of it. But yet, this is what I have to go through because... This is how my story leads me to my journey. And of course, for our purposes, since our topic is, is love, we're um, also 
saying that everything that happens to me without exception, especially the things I cannot change, are opportunities for more love. So in addition to our experiences helping us on our journey, um, and in addition to our going through whatever our feelings are in that particular moment and staying with the mindfulness, I'm always looking for what opportunity is this giving me to love more? Now I can love my partner because I'm letting go of blame and retaliation, even though we're no longer together in that way. I can hold the other generously in my imagination now that we're no longer seeing each other. I can stop holding anything against him or her. And when I do that, I have found an opportunity for letting love show itself. How does it show itself? When there's some kind of generous compassion inside that lets us hold all the people in our story, no matter how overwhelming or, or unpleasant they've been, with a kind of, with a loving kindness that has let go of blame or retaliation. Retaliation, the ego's favorite sport. <laughs> ego, the part that doesn't want connection, that doesn't want love, that insists on isolation. How do you isolate yourself in ego? I'm better than other people. I'm always right. I can't be wrong. I can't apologize. I can't forgive. All disabilities when it comes to relationship. So as long as we're hanging out there, we're not opening to the opportunities. And it's not only love of others, it's love of myself. I love myself by creating an inner sanctuary free of blame and retaliation that I can now go to, a place where feelings are comfortable and safe and where I feel a sense of movement from the story to the journey. I have the opportunity to love the other or others. And finally, if we are to make this particular practice complete, all over the world, there are guys going through this just like me. May the merits I gain from my practice be applied to them. That's how it expands and becomes love of all beings. <clears throat> so I no longer carry anything as just my own story. I'm aware that I... I'm in a vast community of people who will never meet each other. 
but are, who are going through the same thing, both men and women. And um, I want to um, apply some of what I'm learning to their plight. What a powerful way to expand your practice so that it includes everyone. Okay, was there one more question? David? Uh, yes. I had a question. Oh, yeah. Hi. Um, Hi. I've been reading the five, um, what's it called? The one about the being an adult in relationships and practicing the five A's in my relationship, and it's made a profound difference in my life. Oh, good. My question is, is how, when there's someone in your life who is suffering from personality disorder or... Um, well, I know I know a lot about AA and the, the twelve steps and Al-Anon, and so the person is the parent of children that I'm involved with, and I don't. That person is in the life. There's no way to end the relationship with mm. the person because of the innocent children that you know are with me part of the time. So how do I manage the mindfulness and the presence? And the loving kindness when this person is in the lives of these children and being perhaps abusive towards the children at times or not loving towards the children. So that would be a, an example of where you would need help from beyond yourself. And I have sought That's what you help have to, yeah. As much as I could, but, but I have to be in relationship with this person. So how do I manage this person? I, from my opinion, it's a pretty severe personality disorder. Well, it's probably not manageable by I, I believe there's any one um, of us. They're self-medicating with prescription drugs. Xanax? <laughs> I think that was the one you, okay. the one you um, mentioned I see earlier. what you're saying. It seems like that's the kind of question that would take us beyond our topic in here. But what I do suggest is more of what you're doing, which is to look for the kind of help that you both could benefit from. But thank you for asking anyway. All right. Any, uh, so I want to go on to something from one last thing on the love of ourselves. I want to give you this quote. I'm on page 42. Um, start with this quote from Teilhard de Chardin. He says, I bless the vicissitudes, the good fortune, the misadventures of my career. <clears throat> I bless my own character, my virtues, my faults, my blemishes. And I love my own self in the form at which it was in which it was given to me, and in the form in which my destiny molds me. Couldn't get a better description of the healthy self-love. And then I go on to say, self-love is self-caring. This is not selfishness, but a wise tending, like tend the way the shepherd does, but a wise tending of our body-minds 
a loving kindness toward ourselves. We love ourselves effectively when we organize our relationships, our diet, our lifestyle, our work, our pastimes, and our choices in such a way that they lead to and protect the three goals of self-caring, health, happiness, and personal growth. Is this good for my health, my happiness, and my growth? These will be choices that maintain our sanity and serenity. And when we take care of ourselves by sticking with these norms, we begin to trust that we really are friendly toward ourselves. So I wanted to bring that in uh, because we hadn't mentioned it yet, in addition to all these other examples, that you're going to um, tend yourself in the same way that you would tend your child or someone you really loved. You wouldn't want um, anything to happen to him or her that was harmful to his or her health, happiness, or growth. And so you're wanting that for yourself also. Or another way of putting it is look carefully at how you love others and ask yourself, now how can I love myself the same way? That is a question that we rarely ask ourselves. So if you think of someone that you definitely love, let's say it's child or partner, and you ask yourself, how do I show the love that I have toward him or her? Then ask yourself, Am I showing that same kind of love to myself? Am I as generous toward myself as I am toward this person? Do I, do I continually make room for his, for my faults the same way I make room for his? I don't mean excusing abuse, but I do mean that we find it easier to accept the shadow side of someone that we love than we do accept our own shadow side. What is this shadow side? It's the um, part of us that is usually hidden, but will come out suddenly in a crucial or emergency kind of moment, and you, you just suddenly realize, for instance, you suddenly see that you're coming from a selfish place, that there's selfishness inside you, and it just suddenly came out, and you realize, oh, I'm being really selfish about this, and I need to work with this and find the generosity, which is the other side of the coin. But when you notice the one you love being selfish, you, um, you will uh, more easily handle it. Follow what I mean? 
I'm just saying that you could make room for features of your personality that aren't so acceptable the way you make room for features of personality in the one you love. This will be the end of self-blaming. Okay, do you want to just have the uh, mic? Do you have the microphone? Right here. Um, you can pass it forward if you want. Good. Thanks. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. It was what occurred. No, no, to I you. wanted to open it to questions. Um, what occurred to me was we also don't accept something in the other that is something that's within ourselves. Oh, yes. So yeah. We well, that would be more like the other. actual shadow. We project onto others the parts of ourselves that we don't find very appealing. Somebody else had a question? Yeah. In the slideshow in the beginning, there was a point at which there was a reference to saying you commit to loving someone, even though they may not be loving to you. But if it's at a point where it's recurring, and I didn't quite catch the end of it, you basically don't or something. And so the question is, as it relates to someone's shadow, an unacceptable part of, you know, where do you draw the line between forgiving them uh, or treating them in a in a loving way and saying I can't have any more of this well it would relate to uh, what we talked about before I am open to reconcile after conflict but I'm learning to release with love and without blame those who show themselves unwilling to relate respectively respectfully So when you love yourself, you don't put up with abuse. But you're always, <coughs> excuse me, you're always open to reconciling and finding a way to work things out. <coughs> what do I mean by work things out? It's um, that you be willing to look at what's actually going on between you And then to express the feelings that come up based on what happens. So I'm addressing the issue. I'm processing whatever the conflict is. I'm looking at the conflict. I'm letting myself know and experience the feelings that go with it. <clears throat> and then I'm trying to work out a, some type of an agreement with the other that will resolve what happened. <coughs> My feelings were hurt at the party when you left me flat and spent all the time with 
that very attractive other woman. Felt, I felt lonely, abandoned. Uh, no, she went to my class, so she didn't say I felt lonely. She felt, <laughs> since I was lonely, I felt uh, sad and at a loss. And let's make an agreement that in the future, you can talk to any woman you want, but have me beside you with the wedding ring very visible. <laughs> so. So. so when you care about yourself, you only want to be in a relationship in which there's some program in place, some technology that you've both agreed upon to work out the conflicts that will inevitably arise. As opposed to, I'll put up with whatever happens because I'm so lucky to have him or her. You would no longer go there. Because it has now become equally important that you take care of yourself as you take care of someone else. This is not selfishness, this is equality. It would be selfish if you were taking care of yourself to the exclusion of the other or in a way that harmed the other. But it's not selfishness when you want something to work out between you and you are willing to use whatever technique will help you get there and you are asking the other person to join you in this very adult style. Most of us had parents who certainly argued, but we didn't really see them work things out. It was just the same old thing brought up over and over again. Many of us have been in that situation. So we don't have models for, we looked at the problem, we expressed our feelings, and we come up with a plan so that things will get better. Most of us didn't see that. So you would ha now have to learn it. And you can learn it this way. Oh, from now on, I'm going to look at things, and I'm going to go into the feelings, and I'm going to come up with some type of an agreement. And um, I need the kind of person to be with who will join me in this. This is how I love myself by not um, tolerating the alternative, which is everything's always up in the air and there are continual resentments. S-E-N-T in Latin is from the word sentire. That means feel. Re means over and over. So you feel the conflict over and over. That's resentment. That's the opposite of resolving. Continual resentment in the relationship means that there isn't a working through. There's just a hanging on to the story. Uh, 
Okay, where is the microphone? Okay. Um, I had a question about um, earlier you said that we organize our choices um, so that they lead to health, happiness, and personal growth. And sometimes I feel um, a bit of a bind between my happiness and my personal growth does, do not always line up. Yes. Mm. And uh, I'm specifically, my, my question is about, uh, <coughs> maybe it's a question about when to end a relationship. My question is that I, I, I sometimes reach a point where my needs are not being met. At least that's what I'm feeling. And I'm curious as to whether that's the point in terms of self-love to pull back. Or is that the point at which I hold my feet to the fire to learn about my neediness? Okay, I understand the question. So <clears throat> first, we would always begin here. So let's have a safe conversation, I and the partner, and let's look at an important question for me, quoting you, uh, my needs, such and such needs, are not being met. <clears throat> and this is what it feels like to be in the relationship with the needs not being met. And is there some way that we can make an agreement together that will help me find fulfillment? And that's how things will be resolved. And let's start over and you tell me which needs of yours are not being met and what your feelings are and what I can do to help you feel more fulfilled. This is how two adults would work on something, they would place it between them and observe it rather than blame and point the finger. So that's the first part of it. The second part is um, a really important one. And uh, the way I've worked on this in the book is um, actually in the chapter on sexuality. Um, I, I am of the impression that a, a long-standing, oh yeah, one fifth, well, it starts on 115. A long-standing fantasy about a particular need, uh, particularly of a sexual nature, um, can give us a lot of information about what was missing in childhood. An enduring recurrent sexual fan uh, 116. <clears throat> An enduring recurrent sexual fantasy may represent a profound, mysterious, and unexpected pathway. Interesting word, pathway, journey. Uh, unexpected pathway into territory that has remained unexplored and uncharted because of our socially inherited secrecy or taboos about our sexual desires. If we allow ourselves to look directly at our fantasy life, we may find fascinating, sometimes challenging treasures from the long-buried past. 
So our main fantasy about a particular need <clears throat> could be the correct password for entry into the mysterious inner world. Isn't this an interesting way to look at it? See, this takes you deeper than just, oh, well, I have this need or I have this fantasy and I want to get it fulfilled and I've had it for so long. Nobody really knows how to fulfill it. This is not an intellectual project. It's a mystery to enter and keep entering. It's the mystery of being born into the full version of who we are. That will be a frightening prospect if our whole life has, one, has been one big evasion of our full emergence, a sad but not irreversible fate. So if you were always afraid to know all your desires and needs, then you would have kept them hidden and um, if you were finally to look at them and work with them, you uh, release some important part of yourself that's been waiting to show itself. You can find out a lot about your sexuality by working with one of your ongoing fantasies. This is the fantasy that keeps coming back to you and is rarely fulfilled perfectly. In fact, the need to have it fulfilled perfectly is a clue to the fact that it has a deeper meaning than is indicated when it is taken literally. So what I'm proposing is that needs, that some needs and fantasies could be metaphors for something that's been with you from very early life and has never been resolved. So being wanting to be held in a certain way or just wanting to be held could translate over into a sexual fantasy which you take literally. I need someone who will do this with me or for me when actually it's like in religion. It's not to be taken literally so that you're a fundamentalist. It's to be looked at in a deeper metaphorical way tells you about the nature of what it is to be human. And the unique spin on it all that belongs only to you. Because your way of being human is not the same as that of the person sitting next to you. So we have some type of calling in us to become who we are and that's the first calling that we said no to because it didn't seem safe, appropriate, or welcome. How do I love myself? No matter how unsafe, no matter how inappropriate, no matter how unwelcome it is, unwelcome to others, inappropriate in the eyes of others, unsafe with others, no matter what that's all about. I want to look at it directly and delve into it deeply so that it releases 
some very important information about myself. And once I know myself all the way to the bottom, then I know who I am loving. That you, um, as you look and delve deeply into your needs that you've all for so long thought were unsafe, inappropriate, and unwelcome, when you actually do welcome them yourself, no matter how unsafe they are with others or inappropriate to others, then you will start to get some important information about yourself. You will know yourself and only then could you love yourself fully. Otherwise, you're loving the abridged version that fits only for people from Connecticut who were brought up on Bradley Street with Louise and Joe. That is not the full me. It couldn't be. So it will take a whole lifetime to release the parts of us that um, we're not safe to express. But when we start to do this work and we're willing to look at, and, and what's the pathway into looking? Your needs and fantasies. You won't be able to look at yourself directly. You can look in the mirror, you can Think about things, you can meditate on things, that's not going to do it. You've got to follow the needs and the fantasies the same way that Alice followed the white rabbit. They're the ones that take you down into the unconscious. There you will see strange versions of yourself. <laughs> and you'll be confronted with mushrooms that make you more or less. And you'll have to make choices about all that. This is how you'll finally wake up from the dream. What dream? The dream they put us in. Who? Parents, school, society, peers. That The dream that told us, you can only go this far and no farther. So somehow you love yourself when you finally say no to that, the way Alice did. When you leave the, the world, the Victorian world behind and go down into the dirt of what you're about. This poem by Emily Dickinson called uh, A Great Hope kind of fits. <clears throat> A great hope fell, you heard no noise, the ruin was within. Oh, cunning wreck that told no tale and let no witness in. A not admitting of the wound until it grew so wide that all my life had entered it and there was room beside. A closing of the simple lid that opens to the sun until the tender carpenter perpetual nail it down.
lid of the coffin. So that, you know, the, the big thing about her, it wasn't allowed to come out, winds up in the coffin, nailed, nailed shut, never got the chance. Because sometimes the way that you delve deeply is more than just the needs and the fantasies. It's also the wounds. Where am I wounded and how? That too is the white rabbit. What is the thing that I'm always hoping for, fantasizing about? That's the white rabbit. What is the set of needs that I just can't seem to get fulfilled sufficiently? That's the white rabbit taking us where? Into the deep, important experience of ourselves so that now I know myself, as the Zen poem says, when I looked at the moon, I finally knew myself, nothing left out. I finally know myself, nothing left out. And only then did I automatically love myself more fully because I'm seeing the fuller version of who I am. Does this seem too overwhelming? Um, I'm glad someone brought this up because I wasn't intending to say this and I, I, I like that we're going here because it brings depth into our discussion. I need to study this more deeply within myself, but I like this. The needs, the fantasies, and the wounds, instead of taking them literally, oh, look how they treated me, wound-wise, abuse-wise, as long as you're hanging out with that, as long as it's literally about that, it doesn't really take you anywhere. Okay, so let's take a short break and then we will come back and go from there. Linda, Linda, let me see. Zen poem that I could uh, uh, find it to read it? Uh, it might be in here. Oh, okay. I'll find it then. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.